A couple weeks ago, a girl named Havine Kilich was getting ready for a volleyball tournament. Our colleague Suna Rasmussen says she was a rising star. Havine Kilich is this 12-year-old girl who comes from a family of volleyball fanatics. Her father was a former volleyball player and now a referee. Her uncle, the same. In videos of Havine playing, you can see her long ponytail swinging at her waist as she races for the ball. She's wearing jersey number two. And she's fast. Havine is from Cyprus, a small island nation in the Mediterranean. And in early February, she and her teammates traveled from their hometown to a tournament in Turkey. The team arrived just before two massive earthquakes would strike the region. There was about 55 players, all in all, aged between 12 and 14, schoolgirls and schoolboys who came and stayed in this city in southeastern Turkey called Adiyaman. The team's head coach booked their stay at the Isias Hotel, which describes itself as Adiyaman's home away from home. The day before they arrived, Havine and her teammates learned they'd have to be split up. The Isias Hotel couldn't accommodate the whole team. So some of the kids stayed at another hotel about two blocks away. It seems like a pretty sort of insignificant decision to just change hotels, but as it would turn out, it was a decision that would have uh, extremely dramatic consequences for everyone involved. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Tuesday, February 21st. Coming up on the show, a youth volleyball team divided by a twist of fate and how Turkey's building standards might have failed them. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. Havin Kilic learned a lot about volleyball from her uncle, Sadat Kilic. Sadat used to play volleyball himself. There's clearly a bond between Havin and her uncle uh, through volleyball. Her family talks about her as this young hope for volleyball, not just in the family, but for the island. Sadat couldn't go with his niece to the tournament in Turkey. He had to stay back home in Cyprus. And on February 6th, at 3.17 a.m., something jolted him awake. He's got this lamp on the table with a candle in it and he notices that the flame in the candle dances in an unusual way but he just assumes it's a small earthquake and goes back to sleep. His wife woke him up a few hours later. Two major earthquakes had struck Turkey where his niece and brother were for the volleyball tournament. Sadat had felt the tremors in Cyprus about 300 miles away. His wife told him that his brother was alive but his niece, Havine was buried under the rubble. So Sadat and Havin's mother rushed to the airport. 
They managed to get a flight, but it took a long time to get to Adiaman, where the tournament was held. When they finally landed, they found an eerie scene. It's 9.30 at night, it's dark, it's uh, below freezing. And when they land at this airport, uh, there's no one there. There's no one to check their IDs, their passports. There's no taxis, there's no buses, there's not even street lights and the street lamps outside because all the electricity has been knocked out. Eventually, Sadat managed to get a ride from an ambulance, which took him to the Asiyas Hotel, where Haveen and her father had been staying. The hotel was in ruins. Sadat saw his brother, Recep, wrapped in a blanket on the pavement, looking desperate. And there, outside in the cold, they held each other. And they sit there, the two brothers. It's dark. And Sadat told me that he thought to himself, there's no way that anyone can survive this. But him and his brother don't tell each other that. They just sit there and, and wait until dawn. And when light breaks, then the search and rescue team uh, starts working. Sadat began to help dig for potential survivors, to help dig for his niece. Suna says it was a slow and grim process. He recorded some audio while he was there. People were still hoping to find relatives under the rubble. So it was, it was uh, quiet. People hush each other so they can hear voices from, from underground. So all you really hear when you walk through town is diggers and excavators that are uh, sort of going through the rubble uh, to try and find survivors. And apart from that, it's, it's pretty quiet, eerily quiet. It takes them a couple of days before they find anyone. The first two bodies they pull out from the rubble are adults, one coach and an assistant. And the next bodies are, are two young brothers, both aged between 12 and 14 from the boys' volleyball team. And gradually they recover uh, the whole team and, and the adults, but none of them are alive. And what about Haveen? The earthquake was in the early hours of Monday and on Friday morning. They find Haveen. She's body number 25. Siddharth says he remembers. Everyone from the team who'd been pulled from the rubble of the Asiyas Hotel was dead. 25 school children and 10 adults. What happened to the players that ended up at that other hotel? Well, they all survived. You have these two very similar-looking hotels 300 yards away. You could almost stand on a balcony at the Park Hotel and see the ECS Hotel. And the Park Hotel has some cosmetic damage outside, but it did not collapse, and no one died inside the Park Hotel. Why? I mean, if these two hotels were supposedly so similar, then why did one collapse and the other stay standing? Well, I think the answer to that question is kind of at the heart of the reckoning that Turkey is going through now. That reckoning after the break. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit 
to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Volvo Cars. Distractions happen, but there are things that can help you stay focused, like the fully electric seven-seater Volvo EX90. It was made to help keep you and those around you on the road safe with LiDAR technology that can see what you sometimes can't and a two-camera driver understanding system designed to prevent distractions and help you stay focused. Visit volvocars.com US to learn more. I'm here at what used to be the ECS Hotel in Adiaman. And the only reason I could find it was because I looked it up on Google Maps. The building is completely gone, or rather the front of the building is completely gone. There's... Suna walked among the ruins of the Asias Hotel, where Haveen and many of her teammates were killed. They were among the more than 45,000 people in the region who died following the earthquakes. The toll is still rising after another pair of new earthquakes yesterday. Everything is rubble and debris. There's the paper flying around. There's uh, iron poking out and in all directions, but otherwise it's just really just a, a mound of, of rubble. Turkey sits along two major fault lines and has been through devastating earthquakes before. In 1999, more than 17,000 people were killed following a quake near Istanbul. Afterward, lawmakers pushed for stronger building requirements. But despite tougher laws, a lot of new construction still wasn't up to code. Rather than fix these buildings or tear them down, President Recep Tayyip Erdogan gave builders so-called amnesty. Is this amnesty that legalizes construction and buildings that have previously been found to be illegal or to be violating building codes? The policy let building code violators off the hook if they paid a fee. Other Turkish presidents have allowed construction amnesty before, but not like Erdogan. In 2019, he used amnesty as a talking point on the campaign trail. Erdogan said that widespread construction amnesty would fuel a construction boom, create jobs, and provide much-needed housing. Suna says Erdogan's government has offered amnesty multiple times in the 20 years he's been in power, both as president and prime minister. And uh, he's mostly done it before elections. His critics say that it's a way of paying his loyalists. And uh, they say there's a certain amount of, of nepotism and corruption involved as well. Well, let, let me get this straight. So, so there's like a political program so that buildings that have been found to have code violations, like, in other words, buildings that are not necessarily safe to be in, those violations can just be washed away under this... this amnesty program. They don't have to bring them up to code or fix them or change them. They just get a, a, a free pass. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Suna says that a few years ago, when Erdogan was pushing for another round of amnesty, most members of parliament supported it. But there were also warnings. There was an MP from the, the People's Democratic Party. And this MP went in parliament and said, if you use these construction amnesties in an earthquake zone like southeastern Turkey you risk tens of thousands of people's lives. But since 2018, the government has granted 7 million licenses under amnesty policies. So 
these construction MSDs have been widespread. They've been used over the like across the country. And at the amount alone, uh, around 11,000 buildings have received this construction amnesty. Did the Asias Hotel receive amnesty? I can't say for certain that it's received construction amnesty. Allegedly, it did not live up to building codes. Online, you can see photos of the lobby of the hotel where the, the columns look unusually thin, which is a common practice. Supermarkets, hotels will do this. They'll, they'll sort of shave or like little thin the columns to make more space for groceries in the supermarket, for space in a lobby, or in the case of the ACS Hotel, for parking spaces underground. Photos of the ACS Hotel's underground parking lot showed similar columns. You can see the bottom half of the column has been thinned. You can see it on the photo. Is that visible? It's almost shaped like an upside-down bowling pin. Hmm. What have architects and engineering experts that you spoke with said about the way that these pillars look and the way that this hotel looks? They've said that this is an example of construction that is dangerous in an earthquake zone. The owner of the Asias Hotel has not commented. Since the earthquake, there have been lots of reports of shoddy construction around Turkey. This man points to the structural damage buildings like his made of concrete, too brittle against the violent movements of an earthquake. There had been concerns that water was weakening the building. The weight of the floors suspended above a large empty shop space is a difficult design to survive an earthquake. So what are people saying now about Erdogan and this, and this policy of construction amnesty? Now that the earthquake has hit and we're seeing this, this horrific toll. A lot of Turks are saying that Erdogan has blood on his hands because of um, these policies that have led to just a, a, a mass legalization of buildings that are not safe to live in. And what has President Erdogan said about this? Erdogan said that 98% of the affected buildings in southern Turkey were built before 1999, implying that they have not been built and legalized during his tenure. The Turkish Chamber of Engineers and the Ankara Chamber of Architects have disputed those numbers. Since the earthquakes this month, more than 200 people are facing legal action. There has been a string of arrests that's like a daily of contractors, of building managers, uh, landowners who are accused of violating building codes and, and restrictions on, on construction, but dozens of people have been arrested since the earthquakes including the owner of the Asiyas Hotel. Last week, the chief public prosecutor of Adiaman said the hotel's owner had been arrested and was subject to an investigation, along with three hotel managers. None of them have commented. Is it, is it really possible to hold anyone accountable for this policy? Because it was a legal policy, and there were so many players up and down the chain of construction, from builders to regulators who were involved in the decision to let these buildings get built and stay up without being up to code. Yeah, I think that's where we get into sort of interpretation of the law and, and where it can get tricky, because even though you get amnesty for a building, you're still responsible for, for keeping it safe against earthquakes. In other words, although amnesty legalizes buildings that were previously not up to code, it doesn't absolve the owner of responsibility in the case of an earthquake. 
the people that are being arrested, do they also span up and down the decision tree? Or are they mostly people that are responsible for building and designing the buildings? We haven't seen any higher-ups take the fall for this. It's also important to point out here that, that all the responsibility doesn't lie with politicians or with the president. Legalizing a building in Turkey is a multi-layered process. It goes all the way from the government that issues these amnesties all the way down to the engineers who construct the buildings. Have experts provided any estimates about how much worse the death toll was in this earthquake as a result of these amnesty programs? No, I think that's so difficult to gauge, but I don't think there's anyone who doubts that that the shoddy construction practices in Turkey has a major role to play in this tragedy. That's what makes this this disaster even more heartbreaking, is that it didn't have to be this bad. Yeah, like I can't remember a more stark example of a populist policy that has had such fatal consequences on the ground for people who are just trying to live their lives. In this case, 25 school children from Cyprus. And a lot of people in southern Turkey will say that there's a direct line from the policies being made in Ankara to the fate of people buried under rubble. Regardless of who is responsible for building amnesties, it doesn't take away the pain of the survivors. Suna spoke with one of Havin's coaches who made it out alive. And I asked him if he felt lucky that he had survived. And he said, of course he didn't feel lucky. Every day since my survival has been, has been really hard because um, well, I guess there's, a, there's some level of, of survivor's guilt. But he also felt really guilty towards the, the parents of all those children who had died. He said... These parents entrust us with their children. And he just felt completely crushed that uh, 25 of them ended up dead. That's all for today, Tuesday, February 21st. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. If you like our show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We're out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.